Well, I'm here down in Siguatapeque, Honduras, and I have a gentleman here I've met recently. It's been a privilege to get to know him a little bit, but he runs the Spanish Institute of Honduras. It's a language school. They teach Spanish. So we're going to just have a conversation regarding language learning. Currently, right now, I know many of you, it's, it's evident the, the amount of Hispanics that are are getting dumped uh, throughout many cities and communities. Many of you who own businesses, you have Hispanic workers, you struggle with communicating with them. There's challenges regarding the culture. Our hope is, is to just kind of touch on some of these things and give direction, uh, possibly regarding an opportunity to, to study uh, online or possibly coming down here to the school itself. Welcome, Mike. Go ahead and share about the school itself, maybe some of the history and some of your, your heart and vision for the school. Okay, Travis. Well, thanks for asking me to be here with you. I really like doing these kind of interviews. I have a lot of fun with it. So thank you. You know, language learning is really something that we're passionate about because we see the importance of learning the language if you're going to be living in another culture. And as you mentioned, in the United States, you don't even have to leave the country to really be able to be involved in a different culture, especially the Hispanic culture. So one of the things I think just give a really brief history of how we got here. I'm 60 years old. And in 1964, which would have made me six months old, my uh, father, who did not speak Spanish, and my mother and my three sisters, we moved to Guatemala. Now, I don't remember any of this, <laughs> but I know that in 1964, Guatemala was a different country than it is now. Very, very, no electricity, hardly. Uh, it was just, you know, very, in many ways, far behind what it is now. And uh, we went down there my dad, who wanted to, had a great heart for missions, but couldn't speak the, the language. He really struggled, got in trouble, had an accident, and uh, ended up in jail for about three months. And they left and went back home. But at six months old, I always say, I think I ate enough dirt off the dirt floor house that we lived in that Latin America kind of got in my blood. And since then, we've been back and forth. Uh, when I was about 17, my dad did decide to take us as a family to Antigua, Guatemala, and we studied Spanish. Now, I became fairly fluent while I was there, but then I returned home and I didn't really speak Spanish for the next 30 years. In 2008, the small church that we were attending wanted us to lead a short-term missions trip, the first one they'd ever done. And of course, my mind went to Guatemala. As a little side note, the, the church, you know, that I was going to at that time, a small church up in Maine, uh, when I brought back the destination, because they said, Mike, just pick a place. And uh, if you know the Maine accent, you'll, you'll, I hope, hopefully you'll think this is funny. But I go back, I told them we were going to Huehuetenango, Guatemala. And they go, Guatemala? We was thinking no Hampshire. <laughs> But, you know, the church was good. We, uh, we, we had 30 people that went on that mission trip, and it really, for me, just kind of reawoke the love for um, the Latin culture. And so as a family, when we went back home, we decided we wanted to come, wanted to come back to uh, Latin America. I figured Guatemala, but through a course series of events, we found this little language school that had just been started up by a missionary here in Siguatapeque, Honduras. And because we wanted to do some missions while we were there, while learning the language, we ended up coming to Honduras. And that's how we, we became in, uh, connected with the, the language school, which we now own. It was just a little startup place. We spent two months here and we got a, a pretty good foothold in the language again. Went back home. This would, would have been in 2012. In 2013, I shut down my business. We rented out our house and we came back to Honduras for six months to a year. That was the plan. 
and we never went home. <laughs> so we decided to uh, to stay. We felt like God was using us here. We didn't really come down as missionaries. We didn't come down supported. We just came down to just experience the culture and learn the language. And once we decided to stay, at that point, I had to have a talk with God about how we were going to support ourselves. We were already here. I didn't really even know anybody. Like to to go back, you know, the churches that we went to in Maine were very small. And I just felt like God said, go into business. The first indication that for us that that was possible is I had begun managing the Spanish Institute of Honduras, and the missionary that owned it had really uh, lost interest in it. He was involved with other things, and he's, one day he just said, Mike, do you want the school? I was like, okay, God. So this was shortly after I'd had this conversation with God about how we we're going to support ourselves. And even though the school was small and it wasn't really making any real money, it provided us a place to live at no cost. Because, as you know, we live, we rent this large house, which is the Spanish Institute, but we live on the, on the top floor, my wife and I and our son Carlos. And so with that, we began to grow the school. It actually began to produce some income. And since then, I've opened up several other businesses. We have a well drilling business, a well pump uh, supply store. And then my son, Mark, and so I did want to just kind of correct something for the record. I no longer run the language school. I have passed that off to my son, Mark, and his wife, uh, Gabby, and they are now are the only ones that actually manage the school, and they're doing a great job at that. So they've been doing that now for, oh, probably four years or so, maybe okay. longer. And uh, that's, in a nutshell, how we came to be involved in the Language Institute and here in Honduras. Learning a second language, I think, is probably one of the most difficult things and underestimated things regarding what it takes, the commitment and the time. When we started ministry, I ended up in country in Mexico. I was told by everybody, you're around the language, you're going to learn it. And so my first year, that was my attitude. I'm around the language, I'm going to learn it. I, I gained some words. My pronunciation was horrendous, yeah. absolutely horrendous. I, I grew up in the North. I wasn't around Spanish speaking at all as a childhood. And I would get phrases, I would, oh, I'd buy every single program under the sun, learn Spanish in three months. Ooh, yes, that's what I need. And I'd buy right. it, right? Learn Spanish in 30 days. Oh, that's even better. And I'd buy that program, you know, fluency in six months. You, you have all this advertising. And I found myself frustrated, discouraged. We spent much of our early years using using translators. Mm. Our schedule and the campaigns we did, we, we evangelized all throughout Mexico. It was a time during the drug war. That, well, the drug war continues at, at a pretty mm. high velocity, but it was at the beginning of, of this particular war that's taking place in Mexico. And I quickly found myself in an extremely dangerous country with a lot of hardship and suffering taking place around us. Most mission organizations left because of the violence, but we knew we were to stay. And rather than taking a lot of time to prep myself in the language, we took the shortcut and used translators. It was after some time when we burned out our translators that I just realized this, this has to change. Mm -hmm. uh, I attended a language school on the border mm -hmm. of, of Texas and Mexico. The bulk of that was, it was good to an extent. I, I got a foundation. When I left, I was able to, to preach. Looking back on it uh, pretty primitively and mm -hmm. with much frustration, it would it'd be 40 hours to prep a message. Uh -huh. Most of my message prep would be trying to learn the, word, the words to speak. And 
and, and so it's been a challenge. I think this is a story for many. Many, many think, well, you can learn a language in a year. Many think you can, you can buy these, these other programs and gain fluency in three months. From what you typically see and from your experience, what would you advise somebody who is either beginning to be a missionary somewhere or perhaps is just wanting to learn Spanish? Wow. Well, you touched on an awful lot of really good things there. And I'd kind of like to hit on all of them at some point through this conversation. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say that through our Spanish Language Institute, we've been open for 12 years. We've had literally thousands of missionaries come through our school. Now, our institute is not only for missionaries, but that is like our niche market. We work with probably almost all the missions agencies in the United States, and we have online programs. We have people around the world. But it's not just missionaries that come to our school, but it is primarily. So I would say out of the and, – and I wish we had kind of kept count of how many students we've had, but I know that I, it would be in the thousands. And so I think that I have a pretty good sense of, of what I'm, I want to talk about or what we're talking about here. The other thing that I want to say is that not everybody chooses to spend the amount of time in language school that I believe they should. Some of that is because their agencies don't give them enough time. I'm, I'm going to just be very honest here. My intention is not to offend anybody. But on the other hand, I believe that speaking the truth as I see it, and it's my opinion, probably should be heard in this. And so my first word would be to missions agencies. If you are not ensuring that your missionaries are learning the language adequately, then you're in error, in my opinion. And this comes from just watching our missionaries that graduate. We follow them. We follow their, their lives. We follow their missions work. And um, we see many of them struggle because they didn't spend enough time. Whenever a missionary is struggling in their calling because of language, and there's many other areas that missionaries are going to struggle with already, it's just one more area to be defeated and to return back home. The, uh, the rate of attrition for missionaries is extremely high for a lot of reasons. But the failure to learn a language adequately so that you feel comfortable in your day-to-day -day life and in your calling, if you don't learn that, it is just a continual, continual struggle. It's stressful, and you put all of the rest of the stress that comes with doing missions on top of that, and you're really, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. And we've seen that, unfortunately, over and over and over. The, we see good people sell everything they own, come down to do missions, and return defeated after a couple of years. And one of the reasons is because they haven't learned the language well enough. Why not? Well, so they're missions agencies. So the ones missions agencies that have been doing this for a long time typically see the value in letting their missionaries spend between a minimum six months, nine months to a year, preferably. And so they already have, they already have seen that. The newer ones, and when I say new, it could be in the last 10 years, they don't usually give their people enough time. Three months. Now we work with people in advance because we saw that this was a problem. And so before um, people even like come down, we'll do a, um, we'll kind of sit down and do an assessment. What do you want to do? What, when you are here, what are you going to be doing? So for instance, let's say we've got somebody that's going to come down and he's just going to run missions teams. Okay. So, you, you know, you have your teams coming down. He's got to do all the, he's got to go and buy the lumber and the concrete blocks. So his level of Spanish is not going to be the same level as someone who's going to be a preacher. 
someone who wants to be an evangelist or a counselor, they need a much higher level of Spanish than the guy that's running teams. Now, he should certainly be comfortable and fluent to handle any, you know, the van breaks down, you're out in the middle of nowhere with a group. I want somebody that can speak the language enough to get me, you know, get, get me back. back to home base as, as, as a missions, you know, as a short term missionary person. I want to know that my guy, I'm, that he's got me, you know, he's got my back because I don't, you know, so you, so you want to make sure that you've got a, a level of Spanish that, that will cover all of that. The problem that I have is when people want to be counselors, pastors, and evangelists is if they can't speak at an advanced level, because so much of the context of a, of a, of a message is, well, I guess what we call hypothesis and where we use the subjunctive and we use the, it's, it's like theory, right? And if you can't handle that level of grammar, then your message is really not going to be clear, especially if the people that you're speaking with are not used to hearing gringos, as we're called, yeah. um, foreigners speaking Spanish. When I go up into the mountains where people are not, don't come in contact with foreign spe- speakers very often, I speak fairly good Spanish. My pronunciation is fairly good. My grammar is pretty good. And yet sometimes when I start talking to them, because we do speak different and we do have a, still have an accent, I, they look at me and I can see they're like the deer in the headlights. What's this guy saying? You know? And so when you're, when you're preaching to somebody, if you're not using grammar correctly, your message is not going to come across as clearly as it as it could or as it should. We see this in the U.S. with foreign speakers. I, I know particularly some doctors who have studied. I used to work with one doctor, and he knew the language. Mm-hmm. He could speak the language. His accent was so thick, I dreaded having to call him on the phone to get orders because I literally could not understand him. And even in person, he was, it was a bit easier, but still very difficult to understand. And for those of us that are of age... Mm-hmm. From my understanding, is the palate hardens in the mouth, in which I will never speak without an accent. Right. I, I can I can perfect my pronunciation and quit doing the crossover of, of different sounds from English to Spanish. But there is that reality that <laughs> there's no hope for us in in, in a uh, purely native native tongue. I have never seen a language program as well put together as the one here. So Thank my you. family, we've probably did everything wrong in the beginning. And the Lord still used things. I wish I knew this school back in 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. because I definitely would have begun the online classes. Yeah. And so my family, we've, we've done a fair amount of study online. The program you have is it's something I've never seen. And again, I've done Learn Spanish in 30 days, three months. I, I, I ran after every marketing scheme there was, hoping... It would establish me better. Share a bit about the process of the program itself and then the teachers and how they work. Um, Share a bit about the online stuff because I know many are not going to be able to necessarily come down here. Uh, I know there's a lot of employers. You you mentioned there's different levels. Yes. Um, What what options would some employers have of, hey, I have have a roofing crew. Mm -hmm. I'd like to learn how to communicate with them. Okay. I have a lumber yard with 40 employees. What options are there to help equip them, enable them? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, those words of, of encouragement for our language school. And we have, over the years, we have made many, many changes because not only, you know, do I own the place, but I was a student. And so I know what it's like to study Spanish. 
And I've also tried those programs. You know, there are always those people that can learn a language in 30 days. My nephew speaks seven or eight languages fluently. Some people just have that gift. But for the most of us, it's just work. It's just, it's study. And what I have seen is it doesn't really even depend on intelligence or IQ. Some people just are more gifted at learning a language for whatever reason than others. We've had people with doctorate degrees come in and they struggle. And you got a guy that uh, just graduated high school and he learns quickly and easily. So it really doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. I don't understand. I don't know if anybody does. The only thing we know for sure is that if you start as a child, it is, it comes naturally. And I'm talking like three, four, five. So our granddaughter, she is going to be bilingual because she is growing up in a multicultural um, household and they speak Spanish and English uh, to her. Um, and she will do it without studying. So if you've got kids, I'll just throw that out there. Uh, we've got a homeschool program that is, is an online program. Get your kids involved in a, in another language, whether it's Spanish or another language while they're young is a minimum. They will have already a base there. And as they work into high school, sometime, and I'm not an expert in this, but sometime around eight to 10, from what we've seen, the mind begins to change. And now you have to begin to study. And as you grow into your twenties, then it's really just study and practice, study and practice. So those two things. So our language program is, I don't know if it's unique, but uh, one of the things that we realize is that a lot of people come into the language program and maybe haven't already taken a college level Spanish uh, course or were involved in uh, a Spanish culture younger. And so they already have a level. So we don't need to start them out with the basics. What we do is we have an, a placement test. It takes about 15 minutes. Our teachers have been trained to do this. If you can actually find the test that we use, it's not like you can't find the test, but the method is called ACTFL. And it is basically in the shape of a pyramid. All right. And the pyramid is broken up into four levels and each level, except the top one, which is superior, is broken into three levels. You have beginner, intermediate and advanced. But in each one of those levels, it's, it's kind of broken down in two. And when you sit down or over or online with our teachers and they give you this placement test, they ask you a series of questions where they determine where you are. And with that, they determine where you would start in our program. All of our classes are one-on-one. We can do uh, two or three, like our homeschool classes are you know, usually set up for two, three, or four, or five kids. But uh, we have found that it's more productive that if you study one-on-one. Um, because nobody learns at the same rate. Uh, it's just a kind of a personal interaction back and forth in the classroom, whether it's online or in person. And so online, how is that done? It, it's basically identical to the classes that you're taking now. As far as you sit across from uh, the teacher, other than you're, you've got the internet connecting you, but uh, you sit there uh, across with the teacher, the, uh, they, they teach, you talk, they question. It's not just teaching, teaching, teaching. As if you were sitting in a classroom with 30 people, you're just going to hear a lot of teaching. But this is literally, it's practicing what you're learning as you are learning it, plus review. I believe this is key for what the school is and, and probably one of the foundational differences is as as learning a language when you can sit down and not simply just have a conjugation concept yes. and drills and grammar concepts and drills, 
for me, for many years, I could sit down and rock out a test. But when it came to the intricacies of using the language in a crisis situation, in counseling, I, I could easily mix up uh, some of the higher level forms. Yeah. Or I would find myself avoiding those higher level forms because I wanted a conversation to keep going and not have to have the person sit there and wait on me for 20, 30 seconds while I sort some ideas in my head. And, right. and so with the school, you, you get this live time correction and encouragement and direction as far as how all these pieces to the language works together. One of the things I'm seeing right now in the North, I know many all throughout the United States is, is many illegals coming in or, or through the, the abuse of this asylum process that are coming in, Hispanics are literally getting dumped and left. And and a lot of these men I talk to, you know, they'll, they'll come, they'll, particularly on, on flights and different things like that, they'll say, well, I'm, hey, I'm he the government's sending them, me to Miami, uh, but they didn't tell me who I'm meeting there, who's right. going to meet me there, right. and, and nobody's going to meet them there. They get thrown on the streets. Yeah. Uh, what I'm seeing up north is this very thing. They're, they're literally just dumping them. And, and there's a lot of humanitarian issues in the sense of this. There's, there's not housing. A lot are coming out of Chicago because there's, there's no longer work. But I, I know in our area, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, people who are trying to get, or a lot of their workforce is, is Hispanic. A boss very well doesn't have time to gain full fluency. You even mentioned earlier that it's not necessary for them to have the subjunctive form or this higher form of, right. of speaking. They can get industry-focused language. Talk about that a little bit. Okay. So... You know, as you were talking, Travis, about these folks getting dumped. Um, now, they've made that choice to go illegally to the United States. They want a better life. They want work. And um, yet they have left family and, and friends. And as I was listening to you, I was thinking, for those of you that are listening to this podcast, put yourself in that position. If you were, for whatever reason, suddenly dumped into Latin America, uh, you into Honduras, and you didn't speak the language, and you didn't know anybody, you didn't know the laws, you didn't know the culture, how would you feel? You know, learning a language takes a lot of time. Our online classes are very flexible. A lot of people have maybe one or two hours a week that they can, can uh, schedule in. Um, you're not going to become fluent one or two hours a week, you know, in maybe not even a year. But it is adding a little bit each week to watch you learn. And if you are working with Latinos in, uh, in the United States, or if you're a business owner, I can tell you that from my experience and living within the Latin culture, if you have even a minimal amount of Spanish that you can greet somebody and you can ask them how they're doing, just basic phrases, it opens up a whole new level of relationship that you can have with that person. Now, they realize that they are in another country and that, even, unfortunately, many of them never learned to, to speak English, and I think they should. But if you can speak some Spanish, they will welcome that, especially if they know that you're trying to do it because of them, right? The Latin culture is a very relational culture. And so anything like that, you know, a, a, a greeting in their own language, como esta la familia, you know, anything that you can do will, will literally just open up doors to a better relationship with your employees or with the people that you're trying to work with. So even though an hour or two a week doesn't seem like a whole lot, 
it will make a difference. And this is something they could do short term as well. Our uh, online program is is very flexible. We have what we call an accelerated course, um, where we just kind of take in for say if somebody wanted to make a, a short term submissions trip and they just wanted to pick up some you know useful phrases. Uh, just we don't spend a whole lot of time on anything. We just it's just a crash course. Um, you can ask my son Mark. Um, you know if you email and we'll we'll include the uh, the website address. It's just, it's www.ispeakspanish.org. It's, it's very flexible. And we know that people that aren't in the program to like become fluent, they, we know what, what they want. They just want enough to be able to communicate a little bit on a, on a basic level. And then from there, you can keep on adding to it. Um, if you don't mind, I wanted to mention something. I am, I'm old school. I like face to face. I don't, Really, I don't like Zoom. It's, you know, it's, I know the younger generation, they're, I mean, they're all common, about, yeah. yeah. But for me, uh, I, I'm not, but I would, I would say this. Um, our online program is very good, but it doesn't replace coming down here and spending time in the culture where every time you walk out the door, you're going to practice what you're learning. You know, if, if I was able to like make a perfect scenario, for somebody that didn't have time to come down and, and study uh, for the six months or nine months that it would, would require, is that if you could come down like as a mini vacation, come down for two weeks, study with us in person, and then go back home and continue with our online program. You'll know our, get to know our teachers in person. Uh, we've got a beautiful place where, where the Institute is, and Siguatepec is just a really nice, calm city to, to hang out in for, for a couple of, couple of weeks. I would also say to missionaries, I know that many people, they spend maybe a couple of years fundraising. They should be using that time to begin studying Spanish online and then come down and continue with us in person for the rest of the time needed. But you've got a year or whatever it takes for you to raise your funding and be using that, uh, you know, four hours a week, whatever you can squeeze in. So, Travis, just a couple of things I wanted to just touch on before we we closed up the, wrapped up the, the session here, but you had mentioned earlier when you were talking about your experience when you went to Mexico for the, the first few years that you were there, that you were hoping you were going to pick up the language, but you depended on translators. There's a lot of missionaries that depend on translators. Now, I speak Spanish at a very high level. I'm not a preacher, so it's not something that I just do naturally, and, and it's like part of like what I do. And so if I occasionally will speak at a church, and so I am more nervous about doing that. But there have been times where I have chosen, I have one, a, a friend of mine who is an excellent translator. He and I work because he used to work with me a lot in our projects. We work really well together and he like gets my way of expressing things. And so sometimes I will still use a translator just because I want the message to be clear. I'm not their everyday pastor. I'm, you know, I'm not there every Sunday. And so sometimes I will do that. But in general, if you are depending on a translator, there's two things or three things that are going to happen. One is you will not build the relationship with the people that you are talking with. The translator will build that relationship. I've watched this over and over and over. You know, communication is more than just words. It's facial expressions. It's that laugh. It's, you know, your hands moving. And so I'm talking English. My hands are moving. My face is doing the expressions, but they don't understand a word I'm saying. Now the translator comes in. And like I was saying, Chris that used to work, work, work with me, he would like make the same motions that I did. We worked on that. So it was as though I was speaking, but he, now he's speaking Spanish and they're understanding it. 
And yet he's doing it in a way that is, he's not just repeating words. He's doing it as though he's the one having the conversation. And then they would laugh at something that I had said, but that he was translating to Spanish. So they weren't laughing with me. They were laughing with him. That's one way. Now, let's just say that you're going to try to counsel somebody. They're having marriage problems or they want to talk about sin in their life. As you're the pastor, that's what you're there for. No one in Latin culture is going to, and maybe in the world is going to be comfortable sitting there and open up their heart to you using a translator. It's just not going to happen. So if you really want to do ministry, if you really want to do discipleship, you've got to be able to do it one-on-one. That's the bottom line. The third point or thing that I wanted to mention was you also asked me, why do people not stay in, in language school long enough? Well, there's about a couple other things that I want to, that I want to mention as to why. We are very action-oriented people, North Americans. They see language learning, not that it isn't worthwhile, but they want to get down and start doing missions, right? Second, my supporters are not going to understand that I just spent six months in language school. My response to that is, shame on you. You need to educate your supporters. Your missions agency needs to educate your supporters. How would you feel about going to a doctor that didn't have time to finish his, his medical degree, right? Because he wanted to get out and practice medicine. Yeah. yeah no, you're not going to do it, right? He's got the idea how to cut you open <laughs> right. and fix that valve. But you know what? We forgot how to close you up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I tell people is, yeah, missions is a calling, but it is also a job. And if you want to do your job well and be taken seriously, you need to be able to speak the language. And learning the language is just part of the same thing as if you were going to go to school to be a, be a doctor. Put in the hard work that it takes. The other thing is missions has changed over the years. I have a very good friend here in Siguatepeque that came down probably about the time I was born. He's in his 80s now. He's still here. They came down as a young family. His wife passed away just uh, last year. And they came down in that generation. They come down with the idea that they were staying until the grave. Missions now has changed. And most people sign up for four years or two years. If you sign up for a short they would call it mid-term missions assignment, for you to spend a year of your two to four years in language school doesn't make sense. And that may be where part of the greatest problem is. People are not seeing it as a lifetime calling, and so they can't justify putting in the extra six months or three months, whatever it is, when they're only going to be down here for a limited amount of time. It's complicated. I'm not judging the what how we do things now, but it has certainly turned a lot of things on its ear. That's a change you've noticed. Yes. Again, give the address and, and contact for people. www.ispeakspanish.org. That's our website. You'll, you'll be able to navigate that and find what you need regarding kind of what the Lord may be pressing on your heart to, to do with language learning. Join us next week. We're, we're going to get into some aspects on, on culture, and I think it'll be fairly eye-opening for many to hear a lot of the cultural differences between Latin America and the United States. Look for that coming up next week. And again, Mike, thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Travis. 